Welcome back to the Pomposity Diaries, dispatch number five. Last week, I left you all hanging after my encounter with the two natives in the corpse on the way to the party at Aram's. After I relieved the two gentlemen, a command they both misinterpreted, I swiftly found to my chagrin, as one projectile vomited, thank the lord beyond my easy, and the other urinated copiously to the side of it, I noted that in their ill-disguised attempts at sobriety, an extraordinary application of diligence in avoiding to defile the Eski with their excretions was displayed. This I took as verification of the previously experienced epiphany. My wife, poor love, did not draw the same conclusion, as unfortunately she was standing immediately within range and copped a chop. A strange term, I know but very apt, for it seems the individual who had consumed and shortly thereafter ejected his dinner, after no doubt copious libations, had not bothered to adequately masticate his meal. As stuck to my wife's dress, I am sure was a chop of the lamb variety, I believe. She looked like one of those houses that had been pebble-dashed in the sixties and seventies in England. My understandable, but strangely absent fury was overpowered by the machinations of my mind. A perfect storm of thought, inspiration, and serendipity had stolen over me. I feel further explanation is required. As the contents of the unfortunate stomach landed upon my good wife and the concrete path upon which she stood, the noise produced was not dissimilar to the sound of a wave hitting a shingle beach on one of countless coastline locations back in Blighty, and I was happily transported to wonderful memories of home. Oh, the mind is a wonderful thing. Although I say it myself, I have an extraordinary ability to see the silver lining in diabolical situations. On this occasion, this quality of character was amplified by the sound sensation bathing my ears, bolstered by the wonder induced at the sight of two intoxicated Aussies doing their utmost to avoid defiling an eski, even at the expense of one of their own, for my wife is Australian too. My wifey didn't see it in the same light, unfortunately, and swiftly dispatched the pair with a well-aimed kick to the gonads and choke-punch to the throat. After returning home briefly to allow my wifey to change the soiled dress, we proceeded swiftly to Aaron and Sandra's abode. We arrived at Shea Divine and were enthusiastically welcomed with a variety of refreshments. As hoped for, my eski was scrutinized with the respect and reverence previously experienced that evening, thankfully through more socially acceptable conventions, however. <laughs> At this point, I feel compelled to share with you the germ cultivating in my mind. You see, throughout the whole experience with the two drunks in the cops, I was struck with the notion that here was the potential to exploit a passion that all Aussies shared. I, too, needed to share in this passion. A thought that was immediately arrested, as I realised that that was exactly what I had been doing for the whole of the previous year, resulting in my by now well-known and hitherto understandably poorly documented stupor. No, 
Some element was missing, a mysterious, just-out-of-reach factor that would bind it all together. I knew through experience and countless episodes of Midsummer Murders that to labour upon a missing link is to push it further away. Barnaby had shown me the way many times previously, and so I wisely heeded to the sage approach of sleeping on it. Or rather, in that moment, pushing it aside in favour of countless cocktails and intriguing company. It wasn't long before my natural magnetism began to attract fellow partygoers. And before one would consider it reasonable, I was holding court, relaying tales of exploits back in Blighty, weaving adventure, wit, and a pinch of mysticism to the joy of the audience before me. It seemed the gods were on my side, for accompanying my discourse was a storm of electrifying beauty firing the sky. We were upon Alan's patio, and though under cover, all had a view of this natural wonder. As my tale's pace increased, so did the thunder and lightning, in perfect time with my cadence, pitch and projection. With the climax of my yarn approaching, I could see in the dear distance a band of rain encroaching upon the surrounding neighbourhood and fast approaching us. I quickly performed a mental calculation without missing a beat of my tale, in order to arrive at an estimation of the time I had before the precipitation hit. Calculation concluded, I began to craft time and yarn in perfect unison. The rain hit with a splintering crash of thunder, enveloping us behind an almost solid curtain of rain, cascading from the patio roof, just as I delivered the immortal final line, that being the final wink of Doyle's act of duty. Overlaying all of this with the timeless chords of dire straits money for nothing, and seeing the rapt expressions fixed upon me, I tell you, I could have had my checks for free that night too. But I always like to leave an audience hanging for more, especially one with a disproportionately female number as this, which was filled with milf of the finest girl quality. It had always been this way. Some of my finest hunting grounds had been in the deeps of that beloved county Sussex in God's own country. I had cut my teeth on the finest fillies, milf of indescribable beauty and ultimately a major contributory factor to my having to leave England. Of course, as is the way with these things, it's never a solitary pursuit. I had my wingman in one worthy of the title. I cannot reveal his real name, but I will refer to him by his stage moniker, Mozzarella. He served alongside me in a double act called Café Fromage. I was known as Cheddar Childs. He, Mozzarella, would hide behind a dark pair of permanently clad shades. Expressionless, he would stand behind the decks at countless parties that he hosted, banging out multitudinous mixes for the gyrating mass of bodies upon the dance floor. And heading them all was me, disguised as Michael Jackson, dancing my socks off, rousing the crowd to ecstatic displays of glee. Mozzarella was a latter-day great Gatsby. No one knew him for who he really was. He preferred it that way. Guests believed him to simply be the hired DJ of incomparable skill. I, however, had not the luxury of such anonymity. 
constantly harangued by all and sundry for introductions to the unknown mysterious host of the finest parties Sussex had to offer, I was inundated with the sordid proclivities of the Sussex aristocracy. Chief of them all was the Duke himself. Dear Harry had always been partial to a little gallivanting, and as his appetites grew, it became increasingly difficult in my capacity as chief twat to reel him in. He would often lose his security detail and not turn up for days after. Enough was enough. We had to create a honeypot attractive and large enough to satisfy all his vices and have him stumble upon it and believe he had discovered it himself. I hit upon the idea of propositioning mozzarella with the task of party player extraordinaire. After all, he had an imposing estate in Harry's dukedom, where all potential fallout following his royal highness's excesses could be contained. Well, the plan worked better than ever could have been expected. In fact, we became victims of our own success. I say we. I mean myself and the duke. For mozzarella, the shit never seems to stick. Teflon has nothing on this guy. After all, it was Harry who had to move to Canada. You see, Mozart knew everyone who was anyone and was responsible for inviting that cheeky minx Meghan Markle to one of the parties during one of her jaunts to England. Well, the rest is history. Me? Well, shortly after the declaration of love and soon after the marriage of Harry and Meghan, I was reassigned down under with the task to assess the Aussies' attitudes for stronger ties to the motherland and execute any high-priority missions necessary to bring about a favourable state of affairs, being one where Great Britain was seen as the true leader of the colony of Australia. No pressure, then. Mozzarella, incidentally, is still happily ensconced within his mammoth Sussex estate in God's own. I have already divulged far too much, and digressed to such an extent I fear there's almost no coming back. But I will try. Upon the culmination of my ripping yarn, I was accosted by my host Aaron, closely followed by Mick. I hear Mick had to bring you in line with regards to your esky etiquette, mate, he said. I am eternally grateful to Mick for the service he did me, Aaron, and I can assure you the same mistake will never happen again. I replied. I should think not, you fucking dickhead. What were you thinking anyway? Oh, I, I don't know, Adam. Perhaps I was wanting to tantalise your taste buds with the fine cuisine readily available at the best restaurants in Europe, made with my own hands. A skill honed over many years in service to the ground, you know. Don't get fucking smart with me, mate. What do you think these are? said Adam, pointing to a plate of freshly grilled sausages. W well, they're sausages, plainly, Adam, I replied. Sausages? Sausages, are they? taunted Adam. They're fucking snags, mate. Finest fucking food there is. And so, once again, I find myself on the back foot. So, you think I can't provide good enough food for my guests, is it, mate? And a show so you try and bring along your own bloody grub, eh? Adam, I assure you, my intentions were honourable. And to top it off, you use your esky to store it in. Can you imagine if you hadn't caught him at it, mate? He said to Mick. 
I have to live in this town, mate. I'm respected around here. We welcomed you into the bosom of our family, put you up when you had nowhere else to go, and you try to pull this shit on me? Even to be associated with anyone who misuses an esky so casually is social suicide, mate. Can you imagine the fallout for someone who's related to such a dickhead? Mick's done us both a favour, and we need to acknowledge it. Jesus Christ, next you'll be telling us you haven't got your esky licence. Sorry, old boy. What, 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 what was that? I thought you said esky licence. Oh, shit. Don't tell me you've been operating that esky without the correct ticket. You've got it registered, though, right? They might have it insured as well, I counted. Ah, oh, right. Think you know it all, do ya? Because your esky has wheels and a pull handle, mate, you need to have it registered at one of the major bottle shops and take a handling test to get a licence to safely operate it. Oh, make sure you do it first thing tomorrow morning. And don't drag it home tonight. You'll have to carry it. Yeah, now have a snag, take another beer, and show your appreciation of Mick. <sighs> the rest of the evening went off without a hitch, and I made many a friend that night. The ribbing was relentless, of course, but then I had made a series of cultural errors triggering the abuse. Yes, I'd brought it on myself and only had myself to blame. I consoled myself with my favourite game of flam. The idea is to charm the socks off the male of the species at the party you find yourself at, while simultaneously flirting with his wives. If you are successful, you have what is known in some circles as double bubble, I believe. In one, you have a friend who you are able to rely upon, manipulate, and bend to your will in times of need. In the other, you have a pleasure pot of divine diversion. <laughs> the method was used successfully on countless missions whilst serving with the twats. I had trained many of the operatives myself in the intricacies of flaming, an incredibly difficult thing to do. You either have it or you don't. You see, with an amateur, I liken his approach to the female of the species like driving an old car where one is forced, in order to change gear, to double the clutch, high rev the engine, and, and grind the transmission before being able to move on and progress the journey further to higher planes of meaningful communication and intimacy. It's clunky, unoiled and spoiled. Now, with a seasoned expert, the essential manoeuvre of changing gear for the desired result of accelerated development between oneself and one's target is performed with the ease and confidence of the driver in a modern car with synchro-mesh gear change technology. It's, it's effortless, smooth and performed as second nature. Now, to improve upon this is to move on to automatic transmission technology and enter the field of mastery very few of us can attain. At this lofty height, it is one's duty and responsibility, indeed one's obligation, to practice the craft on numerous occasions, lest one's skill diminishes and a vital resource to crown and country is lost. And so it was. I left the party, as do the SAS after a training session in what they term the kill room. 
But instead of leaving a trail of destruction with cordite-filled air and ears ringing from heckler on cock, semi-automatic gunfire, I left my personal kill room with bodies intact, but hearts and minds addled with the overpowering desire to be once more within my orbit. Like I said, it's always been this way.